Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, September 10th, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Andrew Eichen. Tonight, we bring you coverage on a doctor's unemployment crisis in North Carolina and an electric car advancement right here at NC State. But first, here's Andrew with the news. Syrian Foreign Minister Walid al-Mulamin said Tuesday that the nation would be willing to turn over its chemical weapons stockpile to Russia. But a meeting of the UN Security Council was, count- was canceled after a timetable between the U.S., the U.K., France, and Russia could not be agreed upon. President Obama is due to address the nation tonight. The income gap between the richest 1% of Americans and the other 99% widened to a record margin in 2012, according to analysis of tax filings. The top 1% of U.S. earners collected 19.3% of household income, breaking a record previously set in 1927. Overall, the pre-tax incomes of the top 1% of households rose 19.6% compared to a 1% increase for the rest of Americans. And that's the news. Thanks, Andrew. And now we turn to Jean with the weather. Thankfully, we got past that high of 90 today. Tonight will be a lot more bearable with temperatures in the high 70s. Be on the lookout for evening showers. Tuesday and Wednesday will be mostly sunny to partly cloudy, with highs in the low 90s. Keep in mind that temperatures peak around 3 o'clock, so if you're outside at this time, make sure to be vigilant with your hydration. Thursday is even worse. It will be 90 degrees on average and humid all day long, with some spotty rain or thunderstorms possible in the evening. Friday is a little cooler at 85 degrees. However, there's a slim chance of showers or storms. Saturday will be beautiful. Clear blue sky with lots of sunshine. 76 degrees with a comfortable humidity level. This weekend trend continues, and Sunday will be a few degrees warmer, but still very pleasant. Be sure to wear sunscreen if you're outdoors for an extended period of time, and stay hydrated. That was the weekly weather report. Enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, Gene. And here's Ben with your sports update. Wolfpack Athletics has had a strong start to the 2013-14 season with three teams, football, men's soccer, and volleyball, going undefeated to start the year. The NC State volleyball team has started the season undefeated, winning both the Golden Griffin Invitational and the NC State Courtyard Midtown Classic. They won the Golden Griffin Invitational without dropping a set and only dropped one set in the NC State Courtyard Midtown Classic. The team is headed to Houston, Texas soon for the Rice Tournament. The women's soccer team has had a solid start to the season as well, winning five games, with their lone loss coming in a hard-fought game against a nationally ranked Georgetown team. In their five wins, they outscored their opponents 15-5. to Freshman Jackie Stingle has led the goal-scoring effort with five goals in the first six games. The women's soccer team is in action again this Thursday when they host number 6 Notre Dame. The men's soccer team has played two games so far this year. They beat Campbell 2-0 on the road, and then opened ACC play with an exciting 1-0 overtime win at home over Pittsburgh. Goal scorers for the pack have been Nick Surkamp, Davi Ramos, and Clement Simon. The men's soccer team is hitting the road to play William & Mary today. While the football team has enjoyed a 2-0 start, it has not come without hardships. After leading the pack to back-to-back touchdown drives to start their 40-14 blowout of Louisiana Tech, starting quarterback Brandon Mitchell went down with a foot injury and will be out for four to six weeks. The Wolfpack struggled in their next game, barely edging out Richmond 23-21 on a Nicholas Sade field goal with 30 seconds left in the game. Sade has been excellent so far, hitting 7-7 field goals to give him a tie for the national lead in made field goals. Another breakout player has been freshman running back Matt Days. He ran for three touchdowns in his collegiate debut and then continued his success with a crucial receiving touchdown against Richmond. 
NC State will host number three ranked Clemson next Thursday on ESPN. Both men's and women's golf, tennis, and cross country start their seasons this month. Hopefully they will share in the success that our other fall sports have had so far, what makes to be a promising year of Wolfpack athletics. For Eye in the Triangle, Ben Hefner. Thanks, Ben. Doctors are among the most respected professionals in our society and often go to school for many, many years. Lately, however, employment has been tough to find. Here's Gene with more. When the hell did patients stop respecting us? I really tried to help that young woman, and she rolled over me like Enid's wheelchair over Baxter's tail. Hmm? Enid was recently paralyzed. I hadn't told anyone. Anyway, I couldn't handle the patient, so go ahead, take your shots. I want to, Bob. I really do. But my first patient today was a snot-nosed little punk who wouldn't let me give him a rectal exam unless I said pretty please first. And I'm just not big on begging strangers to stick my hand up their body. Not even in my private time. You remember when being a doctor meant that people would look up to you? Yeah. When I first started out, I could take this old white coat out, get a free haircut, a nice table at a restaurant. Hell, I never once got a speeding ticket. People used to give me cards and gifts and sometimes even a pie just for doing my job. Every mother wanted me to marry their daughter because I was a doctor. And I used that to sleep with all those mothers because that's what a house call used to mean. Those were the good old, incredibly disturbing days, Bob. Today, people think of us as drug-dispensing walking lawsuits who are, in fact, less informed than their Internet phones. So that's what that damn thing was. I will tell you one thing, though. If you even want to have an outside chance of reaching someone nowadays, you damn sure better speak from your heart. While Scrubs sheds a humorous light on the situation, the message still rings loud and clear. The times are changing in the medical profession, and not necessarily for the better. Doctors in the modern age have to face many problems, which were not relevant just 30 years ago, such as vulnerability to lawsuits and dealing with insurance companies that limit the amount of care that can be given to a patient, no matter how badly the patient may require it. On top of that, the classic issues are still relevant. Doctors still have to work insane hours, face death every day, and carry the burden of not being able to prevent it. Doctors still have to sacrifice their 20s to complete their medical training. They still have to deal with the psychological issues that accumulate from the sheer pressure of it all. Suicide rates for doctors are twice as high as that for the general population. Now, on top of everything, doctors have to face unemployment. The process of getting admitted into medical school reflects the personal sacrifices one has to make in order to become a doctor. The traditional medical student attended an undergraduate university for four years, taking rigorous courses, shadowing physicians, volunteering at hospitals, and doing research. This student has to do all of this while spending time and money on the preparation for the medical college admissions test. Then the application process itself begins which requires money and time to spend on applications and traveling for interviews, which are a required component of acceptance into U.S. medical school. Forty percent of people who take on this journey are granted acceptance into a U.S. medical school, the completion of which leads to even more fiscal and personal sacrifice. Despite all of this, students take on the burden of completing medical school 
because they strive to practice medicine. People who go through this process, they know, they don't have a doubt in their mind that this is what they want to do, and they're willing to make the sacrifices. This past year, 500 USMD graduates did not obtain a residency position. This total does not include the thousands of DO students and international medical students who were also not matched. According to the National Resident Matching Program, over 13,000 applicants were unmatched in the initial process and had to participate in a supplemental program. In all, 34,355 U.S. and international medical students were competing for 26,392 positions. Without a residency position, you cannot practice medicine, and therefore you cannot earn a living. Without a residency position, you are unemployed as a physician. That is scary news to the average medical student who graduates with over $160,000 in debt. Now it's time to view this in terms of the imminent physician shortage the U.S. is about to face. By some estimates, the U.S. will have a deficit of over 60,000 physicians in the next two years. What is the root of this problem that's causing physician unemployment in a country facing a shortage of physicians? This is a result of a synthesis of problems stemming from the funding of graduate medical education. This funding is directly linked to Medicare and indirectly to Medicaid. So anything that affects Medicare and Medicaid will affect residency training positions. The most relevant example is the Balanced Budget Act of 1997. The component of the bill relevant to the issue at hand stated that reimbursements to hospitals for training doctors would be frozen at 1996 levels. An increase in the number of doctors a hospital trained would bring in no extra government reimbursements. This means that we can't train any more doctors than we did in 1996 even with an aging population and a looming shortage. Simultaneously, medical school classes are growing in size. By 2017, there will be 30% more students enrolled in medical schools than there were in 2002. If this trend continues, the unemployment rate for physicians will keep growing as the amount of medical school graduates will continue to increase while the amount of jobs available to them remains the same. This really gives us something to think about. And it really is a relevant issue to consider, especially if you're interested in pursuing a career in medicine. Unemployment is now another consideration you have to make when you decide to take the risk of being pre-med, of applying to medical school. So I really recommend having a backup plan. The prospect of war in Syria has dimmed over the weekend as Damascus now seems willing to surrender its chemical arsenal to Russia. We would like to open to discussion what what we would all I mean is is this is this a good thing? Do you think that war will you know is now avoidable? Was it ever unavoidable? Um we at I on the triangle would like to discuss this only briefly. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start and say I think a lot of hubbub was made. Um, well, I don't think it should be qualified. It should be called hubbub necessarily, but when the chemical weapons were um, allegedly used, everyone turned um, to Obama saying, "Hey, you made these statements last year that said, 'Hey, if we do chemical weapons, we're going to do. If they do chemical weapons, we're going to do something about it.'" 
Um, now what are you going to do? And that put a lot of pressure on, on him, and he ended up, um, I feel like it put him in a tough spot, but... This is the quote-unquote uh, red line. Right, the, the red line drew. everyone refers to, yeah. Yes. Um, where now then he, he, he you know, came out and said, you know, I, I think we should do something about it, and everyone was up in, a lot of people were up in arms about that. And then um, something I, th- I found was interesting was there was um, a, couple of, a, a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago, there was when David Cameron, um, the Prime Minister of the UK, went to... Um, the parliament and said, you know, I, I want to do something in Syria, but I'm not going to do anything unless you guys say it's okay. And they said no. Uh, and what was interesting was how the next day Obama announced that he was going to ask Congress. And it was, uh, it was interesting to see the response. David Cameron was like, I, I support his decision. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a very unexpected reversal. I think, although certainly not, um, unavoidable most americans over the past couple of weeks saw war as just sort of inevitable based on america's um history in foreign affairs but i i wonder if you know was there any chance that this was the plan all along was president obama and secretary of uh state john Kerry were they bluffing or did they or were they just as surprised as everyone else well, what was interesting also was when when they did, um, I, like you said, I guess bluff. You had Assad come back and call their bluff, and he threatened. He said, um, I, I believe, quote, repercussions um, would be, you know, would be t- would be um, put into action from any American strike on Syria. So you kind of had this whole thing. It, it kind of echoes what was going down in North Korea just a couple of months ago, where um, there was a line that was drawn and. And uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of people talking the talk, but maybe not necessarily walking the walk. So I think what we can draw from this is obviously chemical weapons, and I'm sure other weapons, although globally illegal, are still in possession from at least smaller nations and presumably larger ones too. And even in today's world, it's not beyond certain leaders to use them on their own people and... Uh, we can also assume against uh, their enemies. So, but uh, well, if that, <laughs> I mean, if it is something that is not supposed to happen, you're not supposed to use these weapons against your people. This is technically what against international law. Where, what happens? Like exactly the question that was brought up in the past couple of weeks. What happens when someone violates that international code? Yeah, thankfully, it seems to be resolving itself in the moment, but I hope that we can draw from after this that the UN needs to be the one to enforce its own rules, and really, the the superpowers need to concede some power to the UN and accept that they are, no, they are not global policemen, and that it's someone else's job to look after this. They can certainly denounce any action that they want to but i i'd say this this whole situation has just sort of been embarrassing for all parties involved it, it just seems like a can uh, conflicting leadership and sort of just confusion on all parts and, i mean sides were drawn almost instantly of who is on whose side and where russia stands and what is the u.s doing in response to russia's claims and what's happening in syria with putin and like, it's just all these factors came into play that I think we need to learn to try and handle. Um, I mean, hopefully this doesn't. This is going to happen again at yeah. some point. But we need to learn to to take all of these in, into proper consideration. 
and and one of Syria's not not allies, but certainly um, supporters, I suppose you could say, is Russia in this situation. But one of their allies is also Iran, and I think that a similar circum uh, situation could play out in the future with Iran. And I wonder how the response would be differently since we, I don't I don't know if anyone you know five years ago saw Syria as an unstable state or as an enemy of the U.S. and its own people, but certainly we did of Iran. So I wonder how the response would be differently if it if the nation had a different history with the United States. That's that is true. I think we we've never been uh, chummy with Iran. We've not ever been the, the greatest of friends with them. Our relations have been rocky at best. Yeah, and that's that's probably because of Iran's history with Western powers and European and America meddling in their affairs since the 1950s. And so I think since Syria is one of the is the newer state is a secular state, it emerged out of the Ottoman Empire and then split up after um, the end of colonialism. I wonder if. Where we could draw similarities and then where we could say, well, this doesn't apply elsewhere. I think that there's certainly probably African nations that are closer to the uh, the political climate in Syria right now than something like Iran or even elsewhere in the Arab world where maybe it's more of a um, theocratic society. But now, now you have the issue of Syria having raised the you know what happened you know raising the the issue the question of what happens when we do this and now, now the the international community can see that well the threats were made but nothing happened yeah yeah so like you're saying if you're if something ends up happening with iran or any other country here's where these exact same questions are going to come up again and we're going to i mean i feel like a lot of the a lot of people i've spoken to at least are, are increasingly um and a wary of going to war. And I think the final immediate question that people are still afraid to even uh, answer or consider answering is what happens to Syria now? Now that they're... I mean, the U.S.'s uh, previously stated goal was to take Assad out of power. But now that he's cooperating with the rest of the world, what happens? Do we allow him to stay? Do we hope that the revolution just goes as planned and he's overthrown? And then mm. what happens to revolutionary Syria after that? And I don't think that's a question that anyone can answer until we see it play out. Yeah, that's that's just going to be time. And um, I think it's interesting with Russia. They're kind of our on-again, off-again ally. We Our president gets to talk to Putin and nothing really gets done between the two of them but you know in this instance i think it's interesting that our greatest option is to let russia take chemical weapons where like would would my parents or grandparents have ever thought that that would have been a good idea no but that's should take it's just it's just an interesting that's, that's because uh, of future <laughs> that we live in as compared to you know times past russia has chemical weapons if they want it they, oh absolutely yeah they have what they want and i don't think uh there's anything more than really a rivalry between united states and russia right now and an economic rivalry yes. which is much more than we could have said in the past i i'm curious though i have a question i'm because i'm i'm not um 
as well informed as I would have liked to be. But from I remember hearing at one point that it had been a couple days um, and Putin had yet to make any sort of reaction, any sort of statement about the chemical weapons usage in Syria. Um, was I don't, I don't know, did he end up saying anything about it or is this the first Russian response that we've seen since the news came out? I I don't really know. I I remember I thought he condemned it and um I think that he I mean, well obviously now that they they've they have officially condemned it and they've said that this is the way out for Syria and that you know bombing Damascus will not solve it. And I think most Americans agree with that point right. at this at this time. But I don't know what uh President Putin's specific response was to it immediately well i mean hopefully we'll get some sort of uh i don't care if it's slow but some sort of resolution <laughs> peaceful resolution um to this to this conflict sometime in the next couple of weeks well next we've got coverage on electric car technologies developing here in the triangle desiree has the story as we progress into the future america is striving to become more environmentally friendly this change is happening closer to home, with NC State participating as an active member in bettering the environment while making it more convenient along the way. Many individuals have taken it upon themselves to drive electric vehicles, which are known for being a cleaner and more sustainable form of transportation. But it can sometimes be difficult to find electric charging locations. Because of this situation, NC State implemented multiple free charging stations for the public that are available around campus, making it less challenging to find a place to plug in one's car. Stations are located at the E. Carroll Joyner Visitor Center, the McKimmon Center, and on Centennial Campus. Each of these stations can be used to charge any full-size plug-in vehicle and are capable of charging two vehicles at the same time. The very first charging station was opened in 2010, and NC State has been striving to improve the stations ever since. On average, these charging stations can take up to four hours to bring a car from 0% to fully charged, NC State has developed rapid charging technology over on Centennial Campus that would make that process take about an hour. This new development could make charging eco-friendly cars less of a time-consuming task and would be very useful for those driving long distances under time restraints. Although it would be great to have more of these charging stations across North Carolina, one of the biggest issues is that they cost about $30,000 each. However, as more and more advances are made in this type of technology, we can count on the cost to come down and for electric cars to dominate the road. If you're interested in charging up your electric vehicle but aren't on State's campus, there are multiple locations around Raleigh. There are stations located on West Hargett Street, West Jones Street, and Gorman Avenue, just to name a few. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Desiree Ward. Eco-friendly cars less of a time-consuming task and would be very useful for those driving long distances under time restraints. Although it would be great to have more of these charging stations across North Carolina, one of the biggest issues is that they cost about $30,000 each. However, as more and more advances are made in this type of technology, we can count on the cost to come down and for electric cars to dominate the road. If you're interested in charging up your electric vehicle but aren't on State's campus, there are multiple locations around Raleigh. There are stations located on West Hargett Street, West Jones Street, and Gorman Avenue, just to name a few. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Desiree Ward. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNScore, WKNC underscore EOT. 
Also, be sure to check out our blog at wknc.org slash blog, where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for you for, you for now. Tune in next week for coverage on the innovation jar with a twist and fires of all types from Dave. We'll see you next week. Brian the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Andrew Eichen. Good night.